0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, man, uh, Scott asked me to speak the last couple Sundays. Uh, he said we're going through the Psalms, and uh, he said just pick any psalm you want. And Psalms 51 that I talked on last week, just, it, it, it just crushed me in my journey with the Lord. And, and then Psalms 139, we're going we're gonna to unpack this today because it changed my life, and it changed the way that I view God. My name is Rich, and uh, I have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors. And if you're a first-time guest with us this morning, man, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. We've been spending the summer talking about prayer, and we've been looking into the Psalms as sort of a template to help us better understand how to pray. And some of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks have been talking about praying with regards to when you're desperate, praying with regards to when you have hate. Last week, we talked about praying when you've done something wrong. And this morning, I want to unpack and, and kind of connect the dots, so to say, of what David is saying inside this psalm, of what it, of what it means, um, man, it's just going to be interesting, it's going to be cool. So here's what I know, every one of us in this room has some sort of understanding or view of how they see God. We, we, we all have a different level of understanding, and depending on where we land in our understanding, I believe it affects how we approach God with prayer. In fact, I believe that it really affects how we're going to open up to God with our prayer. It depends on how we view and see God. So I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as I read a passage of Scripture. We'll be reading Psalms 139. It was written by David. And he writes, I will put it up on the screen behind me, read it on your smartphone or even on your Bible. Psalms 139, David writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Well surely darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me say that again. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained to me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we're in this conversation about looking at prayer, texting God, so to say. And uh, over the summer, we've broken our time uh, in the morning into five aspects. We've been talking about what prayer isn't, what prayer is, providing with a tool to enhance or help your prayer, and then we look at a psalm from the Old Testament and we kind of unpack it to give us a better understanding of how we can use it towards prayer, and then at the very end of the service today, like we've been doing in the past few weeks, we're going to give you a time of reflection based off where maybe the Lord might be moving within the message this morning for you. So let's just start off with what prayer isn't. For me, I was thinking about this when I was hanging out in my man cave this week just chilling out. Um, That's where I get away to escape my space. But for me, prayer isn't a checklist or a to-do list. How many of you in here this morning thrive and you function and you can't get through life without a list? You check, 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 check. How many of you guys do that? Oh, come on. (laughs) See, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not wired that way. My wife has tried forever to get me to write things down. It's not going to happen. It's not that I think there's anything wrong with a to-do list or, uh, um, or a checklist. I mean, they're good. They have a purpose. They get things done in a timely manner, right? They get things accomplished. Oftentimes, I wonder, even whether we, we thrive on it or not, if we don't go to prayer with a checklist or a to-do list mindset. And I don't think it's a good way to approach prayer. Oftentimes, when we go with that mindset into prayer, We start going through, God, do this for me, check, do this, check. you know what happens in that moment? Our prayer life becomes inward focused on ourselves, and we lose sight of who God is and our relationship with Him in that moment. Let me me say something this morning that I'm going to be perfectly clear with you. God was not created for you. You were created by God and for God. In other words, We are to put him first when we start to pray. Just look, I'll put it up on the screen. Look at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us, lead us. You you get where I'm going with this? Jesus told us by putting God first. His kingdom first, and only then, it's not that our needs aren't important, because they are, they say it right here in his prayer, only then are we supposed to present our needs to the Lord. So, that's what prayer isn't. It isn't a checklist. So what is prayer? Well, we talked on this a few weeks ago, at least Scott did, and well, prayer is just doing it. In other words, um, uh, here's the thing. Romans 8.26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. In other words, sometimes we wonder uh, what to say or how to pray. Last week I said it doesn't really it's not really the words that you say. I mean the words matter, but God's more concerned with the intent of your heart. And even if you don't know what to say, the Spirit intercedes for us and speaks on our behalf. Uh, Let me give you an analogy. When my my son was little and he first started to ride a bike, and maybe you can relate to this, he fell off that bike. As soon as he got on, he fell off and he says, Dad, there's just got to be a better way to do this. I'm not doing it right. He said, no. You simply just got to keep doing it. Get on the bike. Get back up. Keep pedaling. You all know what happened. He He rode the bike and he became really good at it. In other words, praying is just doing it and having a conversation with God. And well, We've also wanted to give you a tool to help transform your, your prayer life. And I got to thinking, it's, it's ironic that Scott would ask me to speak at the end of July and the first week of August since going back to school is coming this week. Here's, what I, here's your prayer tool. Ready? Take a walk. No, don't literally get up and leave the room, but take a walk. Take a prayer walk. Here, a prayer walk is a practice of praying on a specific location or in a particular area. It's a type of intercessory prayer. It's as if we, we, it involves us walking near uh, a, a particular spot where we pray about, or particular people that we want to pray for. Uh, you can do, for example, you could literally take a walk through your neighborhood, pray for your neighbors. Maybe look at someone's home and, and realize maybe you know what they're, they've got. They're, it looks as if they have it hard. Let's pray for them. Maybe you could do what I did last night walk around the city of Portage, walk down by the municipal, municipal offices and pray for our leaders. Like I said a minute ago, it's ironic that the school year is coming. You know what I, do? I used to do with the students when I was a student ministries pastor? We'd go for a prayer walk. We'd visit all the local high schools around here and we'd literally walk around the school and we'd gather around the, fr- the flagpole and we would pray for the teachers and the students for the upcoming school year, that they would be safe. See, the simple truth is that some people feel they can concentrate and direct their prayers more effectively by walking near people and the places that they want to pray for. 1 Thessalonians says this, pray continually. So it, it only makes sense that if we're commanded to pray continually, and since walking is something that we all do daily, well, surely part of praying without ceasing would be praying while we're walking. It just makes sense. Well, we've been looking through the Psalms, and and Psalms 139, man, I love this Psalm. And uh, we've been using uh, the uh, the Psalms as a template, and Psalms 139 was written by King David. And we talked a little bit about David last week, you know, (laughs) praying when you've done something wrong. And this Psalm was written because David was a man after God's own heart. And even though David had made huge mistakes, when you dive into this Psalm, man, you really see the fact that he had this view of God that was different than most people. I mean, he really understood what God looked like in his life. And we need to understand that this passage is one of the most famous passages of the Bible. Many people will turn to Psalms 1 and 39 simply because they're looking for comfort, okay? Because maybe they feel alone or abandoned. Sometimes they'll turn turn to the Psalm and they'll read it because they have, uh, they just don't like what they look like in the mirror. They have a low self-esteem, a low self-image of themselves. I mean, that's what I used to do. And I went to this psalm, and it changed me. And what we're going to learn is that David wrote this psalms in four stanzas, four different parts, and we're going to talk in the first three. And each one of these stanzas are broken up of six verses. And I believe that within these six verses of these three stanzas are three takeaways that can really change or move your understanding of God to a different way. I mean, you'll view it different. Remember what I said earlier? How we view God determines how we pray. So here are the three takeaways this morning. God knows us intimately. We cannot deceive him. God is with us consistently. We cannot escape him. And God made us wonderfully. We cannot ignore him. So let's start with the first one. God knows us intimately. How many of you in this room ever, um, as a kid, ever did the connect the dot activity sheet? Yeah, come know. Thank you. I loved them. They were, they were designed either with numbers or alphabetical letters. And, and the whole point of it was, in fact, I know that they still exist today because all you have to do is go into a restaurant and they're on a kid's menu, all right? And they put them on the restaurant menu simply to keep your kids entertained, or at least we hope so, so that we can have conversation with the people across the table until the food comes. And what I love about the Connected Dots is that it's a, it's a way of starting with somewhat of a blank canvas except for, obviously, the letters and the numbers. And and as you connect them in alphabetical or numerical order, suddenly a hidden picture appears, and you're fascinated. And that's what I love about connecting the dots, especially with regards to the Bible. You see, when you spend time reading Scripture, studying it, meditating on it, reflecting on it, Your understanding and how you view God begins to grow, and you start seeing God in in a whole different way. It's like connecting the dots, except it's not for entertainment, it's for understanding. So not only did I do connect the dots when I was a kid, as I got to my teenage years, do you know what I wanted to be when I grew up? I had no idea I'd be a pastor. That wasn't even on the radar, okay? I didn't want to be a policeman or a fireman. This may sound crazy. Maybe you didn't think this way. Do you know what I really wanted to be? I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to be a dad so bad. And I remember when my my two sons were born. I'll never forget that day. They were so precious. They were so little and cute and tiny. And it it didn't take me long to realize that they weren't always going to be precious. (laughs) And that they weren't always going to be honest with me. I can't begin to tell you how many times they tried to pull the wool over my eyes. Only for them to realize that parents always find out. Here's what I know about being a dad. I mean, being their dad. I know them better than they do. Now, they'll argue with me and say I don't. But I do. Because I've had 24 years of watching them, learning them, disciplining them, and more importantly, loving them. I can't say that it's always been easy being a dad. Being a parent's tough. There's no perfect parent. But man, I wouldn't change it for the world. I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat. See, like I said, I know them better than they do. And I think that's what David's saying in the first part of this psalm. He's saying God knows us better than we do. God knows us intimately. Because, and because of that, we can't pull the wool over his eyes. We cannot deceive him. You know, I've thought about this, and I'm going to come totally clear with you this morning, and I'm going to be brutally honest. Ready? I have to admit, it wasn't until I became a dad that I started to see things, or even an adult, a young adult, that I started to see things from a whole different perspective. Maybe you've been there. And sometimes I don't think we realize all the things that we, we try to hide from those around us, or even, maybe you've done this, maybe You even think that the people around you really don't have a clue about anything. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, I know this as being a student management pastor. Trust me, you have no idea how many times a student has come to me and they said, man, my parents just don't understand. They have no clue what they're talking about. They don't know what I'm dealing with. They've never been in my shoes. Ever said that? Ever heard that? ever thought that? See, here's what I I like about what David's doing. David is open and honest with us, and he paints this picture of who God is. And, and And David said, God searches us and knows us better than ourselves. Now, if you look at the word search, you know what that means? Search means to examine with pain and care. It's like digging in a mind, looking for something value somebody had to put a lot of pain and effort to dig something of value out for instance uh, the diamond on my wife's wedding band was never always shiny polished and beautiful somebody had to dig that thing out somebody had to dig it out and work really hard at it to refine it to make it look like it does today and what David is saying here is you know what God digs deep into our hearts he wants to reveal the things that we need to work on even the painful things in order for us to polish and refine our lives so that our character reflects the very character of who God is. Let me put it to you another way, and I've said this to teenagers, I've said this to adults. Our friends and our relatives and our spouses, they all see the outside of us, and we're all really good at putting up masks and hiding. But God sees our heart. In other words, you can't deceive God at all. See, parents know everything. I mean, look at the Bible. Adam and Eve, they tried to hide in a garden. Look at Cain. He murdered his brother, and he tried to hide in a field. Last week we talked about David and his adultery with Bathsheba. He tried to cover it up and hide it. Here's, Here's the thing. They all discovered something. They discovered that God knew all about them, all the things that they did or didn't do, They couldn't hide from God, and neither can we. Hebrews 4, 13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him, before the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account for. So so let me ask you this question. Would it be fair to say that if, if, if God is a loving Father that knows us better than we do, Wouldn't we wouldn't it be fair to say that he knows what's best for us? Wouldn't it be fair to say that he wants to guide us and give us direction? David writes in the Psalm, in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In other words, God lays his hand upon us as a steady way way to direct us. Because if God knows us best, then God knows what's best for us. I mean, as a parent, I used to think that with my child. Why? Because think about it from God's perspective. If if God knows more than we do, then his knowledge and his guidance are actually there to protect us, to keep us from harm's way. My sons used to come to me and they used to say, Dad, why do we have to do it this way? Why can't I just do what I want? I looked at him and I said, Son, I'm dad. Took me a long time to get to this position and now that I've gotten it, I've earned it. But here's the deal. Son, one day you will understand. One day you will be a dad and you will uh, understand all the things that I understand and you will know how dangerous this is. And when that day comes, and it will, you will find yourself standing in a same situation or similar with your own child. And in that moment, you're going to know what to do. Let me tell you why. Because you're going to think back to this moment. And you're going to say, man, I know what to do. It's because my dad taught me. So what should our response be to that? Man, we should be overwhelmed at the height of God's knowledge and be thankful for what he knows. Because he knows more than we do. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Ephesians 3, 14 to 20 says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to, now get this, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, Ready? Surpasses our knowledge. That you may be filled with the measure and the fullness of God. Now, he wraps it up this way. Now, to him, he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, the fact that God knows us intimately and thoroughly simply means that God knows our actions, our thoughts, our locations, our words even our motives. So when you come to God in prayer, he's a loving father that loves you. You can be brutally honest and open with him and let him have it because he already knows. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. If God knows so much about us, why don't we just simply run away and hide? Well, David writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light as you. See, I could have just said this. What David says in this is two little words. Escape routes. In other words, there are no escape routes. You can't get away from God. When my kids were little, we used to go to Walmart or Menards and we'd walk the store. And, and they would, it was, it was ironic. They'd, they'd get a little bit ahead of me and then they'd dunk down another aisle. They were trying to get away from me. And, I, and I'd dunk down the aisle behind them. And then they'd look and they'd see me coming up behind them. And then they'd dunk down another aisle. And this would go on and on until they finally came to the point where they thought they lost me. And you know what happened then? They stopped looking for me. Do you know what happened next? I would come out of nowhere and surprise them, startle them. I knew something that they didn't. I knew the store better than they did. And I knew I could find them. You see, the point is, to them it was a game. But to me, as their dad, it was about keeping them safe. Keeping them safe from the dangers that was lurking around the corner. See, as a dad... And as a parent, I always did the best I could. I wasn't a perfect parent, but I always did the best I could to keep them within eyesight, within distance. You know why? Because I wanted them to explore. But if they got hurt along the way or if they felt like they were going to get lost or if they needed me, I wanted to be there. See, David says if we can, go to the, we can go to the heaven or down to the depths, God's there. We can travel at the speed of the light to the east or to the west. Uh, his hand is upon us. Your right hand will hold me fast. We need to understand that, man, in this passage, David's saying, man, God wants to walk with us. God doesn't want us just to go down the aisles and avoid him. He wants to walk with us, and he wants to guide us. Because you know why? He knows what lurks behind the corner better than we do. So why would we want to run away and hide? I mean, Adam and Eve tried. It didn't work out for them. Jonah tried, and it went from good worse to, to worse. Here's the deal. I think oftentimes we're running high simply because we want our independence. We want to do things our way. We want our control. I mean, we want to control our own lives. Basically, it comes down to our own selfish motives, our own selfish nature. I'll share a true story with you. My wife and I were having a conversation with our two boys one night when they turned around 18 years old. And we are talking about finances and and coming and going at night and curfews. Maybe you've had this conversation with your child. And um, we were basically telling them about responsibility. And during the conversation, there came a point where one of them basically looked at me and said, blah, 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 (sighs) blah. He said that out loud. (laughs) And I said, excuse me? Blah, 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 blah. I've heard all this before. Don't you have something better to do with your time? Then harass me. You're, you're thinking what I'm thinking, right? Or, or you're feeling what I was feeling in that moment, right? The anger started to come, and my wife says, Rich! And then the peace that transcends all understanding that Paul writes about in the Bible came over me. And I calmly looked at him. I said, You know what? You're right. You're right. You think you don't need me anymore? You know what? It's time that you go and live with your mom. She could be—you could be her problem. No. <laughs> That's not what I said. I said, Sime, "Son, it's time." Because I, I knew he wasn't going to—he wasn't going to bold wool well with her either. See, son, it seems that you got it all figured out—that you don't need me anymore. You're 18, so do me a favor: leave the key to my house on the counter. Uh, I paid for this key. <laughs> Here's a dollar. We chuckle and laugh looking back on it, but it was the hardest, one of the hardest nights of my life because my kid left, and he left angry. And uh, see, it was no longer a game to him. A game to him. He left because he was trying to find his way. And the truth is, what he didn't understand is, I was still ahead of him. And even since that day, I've been watching and looking out over him. And I've always been around still for him whenever he needs me. See, what my son didn't understand in that moment was that I only wanted what was best for him. My intention towards him wasn't to control him. It was simply to keep him safe. Because I knew of the dangers and the hurts that lurked around the corner. And we need to understand that, man, when we invite God into our lives, his presence is there because we can't outrun him. So here's the next question. So if God is with us consistently, and we cannot escape Him, so if that's the case, then why can't we just simply ignore Him? One of the greatest, the next passage is, God made us wonderfully, we can't ignore Him. One of the greatest moments of my life, of any person's life, or just life in general, is when a child is born. I mean, it's amazing what new life can bring. David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is one of the greatest passages of literature that talks about just the miracle of human conception and birth. Eugene Peterson, a great pastor, scholar, theologian, poet, who wrote the Message Bible, he said this about birth In the presence of birth, we don't calculate, we marvel. We really do. See, David declares in this part of the study that, that God is present at the conception of birth of every child. And because we're all made in His image, God has a special purpose for each and every one of us. And we live in and of our bodies all our lives. And here's the deal. We know this. We know how amazing our bodies are. Humor me for a moment. Let's do something. Raise your hands up like this, if you would, please. Now, in not in a weird way, don't do this, okay? But kind of Look at your neighbor's palm of their hands. Just take a good look at it. Look how different their hand looks. But yet, you put your hands down, but yet, look how similar they look. Why? Because we were all created in the image of God. Think about this. God formed us as he wants us to be. And we must accept his will no matter how we feel about our own looks and our own abilities. A little over four weeks ago, my son, Rich, became a dad for the first time. He and his wife, Lenny, delivered twins, Bradley and Olivia. And what you need to understand about these two little precious babies, they were coming two months early. They were concerned for their well-being. They weren't getting enough nutrients in the womb. And the doctors told them it would be better for them on the outside than on the inside. So as we're standing in the hospital bed, the four of us, my wife and I and Rich and Lenny, and they, and they were going to take her into surgery, I remember looking at them and saying, hey, can I pray for you? And we gathered around, and I said, now this, might don't, this is not going to be words. just let me do this. I put my hand on her stomach. And I prayed these words. God, you created these two precious babies. You knit them together in their mother's womb. May they know they are fearfully and wonderfully made. May they know all the days of the life, because you do, God. Watch over them. Watch over their mother. Bring life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I love this psalm, because when you read it, you can't but help but think about life and celebrate the greatness of God. I mean, to knit means woven together, intricately fashioned. In other words, God took his time to create each and every detail of every one of our genetic structures. How could we possibly ignore him? Look at it this way. You know what a masterpiece is? A masterpiece not only helps us to remember the artist, instead it also directs our attention towards the artist's work. I mean, as you're standing there looking at it, we may wonder how that particular work was drawn or made. But for the time being, in that moment we're transposed, so deeply brought into the creation that stands in front of us that our conscience is just expanded. We're overwhelmed. A masterpiece serves not only as a window into the past, but a window into the, into the heart of the artist that made the masterpiece. Here's a picture of my wife and I holding our two precious miracles this week. Are two little masterpieces. And I don't bring this up to say, man, look how cute they are and all that. I bring this up to say, man, this psalm, man, how can you not, how can you ignore God with a little life like that in front of you? See, here's the thing. Remember earlier when I said that one day my son would be a dad? And then he'll understand all the things that I've been trying to teach him and help him understand throughout his life. And guess what? That day has come. He will now begin to see and look at life so much different. He will see life through the eyes of a father. So here's the thing I want to leave you with this morning. I don't know where you land on your understanding of God or how you view your father in heaven. But man, dive into this psalm, think about it. You are perfectly and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. And, and he's such a loving father that you can't run around a corner and get away from him. He wants to be a part of everything in your life. And if you view God as this mean dad that just wants to lay their hammer down and you've got the wrong perception of who he is. He's crazy about us. And when we go to prayer, we're not just asking for our needs. When we put him first, we're basically saying, God, you're the greatest dad in the world. You're awesome, and we celebrate that. See, I want to leave you with this today. God knows us intimately. God is with us consistently, and God made us wonderfully. So we're going to take a moment right now, and I I want you to think about how great God is and that he is a loving father. And maybe right now you just want to talk silently to him, and you just want to just say, God, you know what? (laughs) My view was distorted, but this morning I'm coming to you and I'm just saying, thanks for being my dad. So take this moment now. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God, before a word is even on my tongue, you know what I'm going to say. God, you know it completely. Your hand is upon me. It wants you to just guide me and keep me steady in my life, Lord. Knowing you is far, way too much for me to attain. If I go to the heavens, I can't escape you, God. You are there. If I go to the depths of the earth, oh, God, you are there. And Lord, let me just tell you, man, I can go as far as the east is to the west, and Lord, you are there. God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because you don't make mistakes. You really don't. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God, because I'm made in your image, and I'm your kid. My frame was not hidden from you. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Oh God, that's how much you love us. See, it's not a conditional love. It's not what we have to do, God. It's what you did for us. Because you're a loving Father who loves us unconditionally. Father God, I pray for my friends here this morning. And for some reason, sometimes God... uh, when we look at ourselves, we don't like what we see. And we do a couple things, oh God. We, we, we do it. We, we just naturally go to our selfish ways and we try to, we try to retreat. <laughs> we, we try to run away as if you can't see us. But oh God, you see every hair on our head and every thought in our mind and every word that's gonna come from our tongue. So God, when we think of prayer, we think about having a conversation with you, It's basically just being brutally honest and praising you, knowing that you're a dad that created us and loves us. And because of that, God, you got our back. Thank you for this morning, and I pray, oh God, that as we leave here today, uh, that we take a walk. Just take some time away to take a walk and pray for those around us so that they can come to know that a loving father seeks and searches for them as well. So, God, thank you so much for being our dad. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I leave you with a blessing. We generally hold our hands up here as a tangible way to receive it. May you know the God, your Father, who made you just like you are, knows you better than you know yourself, you cannot outrun him. And when he looks at you, he says, "That's my kid. You're sent to love God, love people, and serve the world in Jesus name. Amen. You're dismissed. We down front if you need prayer."